Hello, everybody. I'm Dr. Frank Newport, sociologist and Gallup senior scientist. Hello, and I am Reverend Nate Brantingham, Presbyterian minister and campus minister at the University of Illinois. And I'm Micah Lambert, producer. And we welcome you to our podcast, Objective Religion, where we look at the intersection of religion and society. And this fall, as you know, if you're a regular listener, we've been focusing on religion and election 2020 week by week. And here we are uh, getting closer and closer. This is the week of October 12th. And we've got a lot going on relating to the election, obviously, and a lot going on relating to religion and the election. This podcast is produced in partnership with Baylor University's Institute for Studies of Religion. Well, there's a lot to get into, and I'm really excited. And we've got a very fascinating deep dive issue as well that I'm interested about talking about. But first, we have a quiz question. Micah? Which states in the Union have the highest percentage of residents who identify as A, Catholic, B, Jewish, C, Protestant? Very good question. And remember, we're talking about percentages here, not raw numbers, but on a mm. percentage basis, which states are highest in those three religious categories? Okay. Well, I've got, we talked a little bit about the Catholic one. I should remember the answer to that. Not sure that I do. Um, but the Jewish and the Protestant one. Okay. I, I'm thinking about it. Well, you contemplate on it. Our listeners can contemplate as well, and then we'll come back with the answer at the end of the podcast. Boy, Nate, a lot going on, as I mentioned at the outset here, relating to religion and the election. Uh, let's go down one by one in our This Was the Week That Was segment and see what we can find out about, first, the only debate between the vice presidential candidates was held this last week in beautiful Salt Lake City. And I'm glad it happened. I was a little worried there for a second that it wouldn't take off and we wouldn't even yeah, get this debate. Yeah, but yeah, as we're speaking, the second presidential debate, which was scheduled for October 15th, has been canceled by the Commission for Presidential uh, Debates. Uh, the final debate, uh, should mention, is scheduled between the presidential candidates in Nashville, Tennessee, for October 22nd. And we'll see uh, what happens as we get closer to that debate. But anyhow, we did have the deep debate. They had plexiglass between them, right, Nate? Right. Yeah, very effective looking plexiglass between them, little little mini shields. But And we had a fly. And we had a fly. I know that, that really stole a lot of the news. But there was a lot of serious discussion going on about very important topics. And they were able to stay on topic and talk about them. So I think in a way for both the platforms really got a chance to kind of uh, to present what they're what they're running for. Yeah, the Religious News Service did a good job after the debate. They said there were three top faith moments in the Harris-Pence vice presidential debate. Uh, let's go over those. First of all, uh, abortion did come up. That's not a shock, right? With Mike no. Pence there, who's been very strong in his pro-life convictions uh, in his political career. Uh, it did come up for both Harris uh, and for Pence. That's right. Um, and they took the, the lines that you think they were. There wasn't any surprises there, but they got a chance to, uh, to show those. So that was good. Yeah, it wasn't a lot of time. I mean, there was a sentence there where she said, Kamala Harris, Senator Kamala Harris said, uh, there is the issue of choice and I will always fight for a woman's right to make a decision about her own body. And then there was a moment where Mike Pence, Vice President Pence said, I couldn't be more proud to serve as vice president to a president who stands without apology for the sanctity of human life. I'm pro-life and I don't apologize for it. So both the candidates uh, we're pretty straightforward, Nate, in getting their positions uh, known in the debate. 
Clear answers. Shocking. Um, mm -hmm. So it was good to get those. <laughs> so yeah, no obfuscation on this. Uh, on At least on that topic. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. On that topic. Yeah. So on that topic. Obfuscation on other topics. <laughs> it sure was. Or, or dodging the question, I should say. Maybe that's obfuscation. <laughs> but sec second issue came up, and we're going to talk yeah. more about this in a moment, was the uh, nomination by President Trump of Judge Amy Barrett to the Supreme Court. Uh, her hearings began even as we speak uh, this week, and, and that came up in the debate as well. Yeah, it did. And and both kind of using his chance to talk about faith and what, what role faith might have in a judiciary placement. Um, and, and her previous uh, hearings, uh, she's right. on the Judiciary Committee, Kamala Harris. By the way, I saw this morning, she is going to zoom in to those hearings. She's not going to appear in person, uh, but she's on the committee. So even though she's running for vice president along with Joe Biden, she's going to be part of the uh, senators, part of the group of senators who are interrogating right. Judge Barrett uh, in terms of her nomination for SCOTUS, the Supreme Court of the United States. But what's happened here is she, in that role on the Judiciary Committee, has interrogated previous candidates for judgeships. And that's come back up again because uh, some people... Uh, argue that in her previous questioning of uh, people, including Brett Kavanaugh, who was nominated and then successfully got on the Supreme Court, she was uh, castigating their faith, which is what we're talking about here, right? Talking about the, how their religiosity or his religiosity and, and some other judges prior to that might actually affect their judgeship. Right. And some would say that's a fair question to ask. Like, are you are you going to bring your religion in with you to help you make these decisions or are we going to leave that at the door? And how does how does that play out and how you make your moral choices? Uh, to some degree, I think people have a right to understand how people interact with their faith if they're going to bring this into the official capacity. Uh, but other people say that she asked that a little too pointedly and um, perhaps a little too anti-Catholic is how mm -hmm. that was read. Yeah, famously, I say famously because a lot of people have brought it up. She was interviewing um, not Kavanaugh, but another candidate for a judgeship who was a, had been a member of the Knights of Columbus. And she kind of pressed him on that, saying, is that going to affect his rulings as a judge? And people keep bringing that up, saying that she was being anti-faith at that point. So we'll see. I'm sure she's going to be very cautious not to bring up the same kind of thing uh, with Amy Barrett, probably at this point of the campaign, don't you think? Um, yeah, but there is also there's questions because Amy Barrett also comes from a group, the people of praise, which is not very well understood. And um, quite we'll talk about that later. But th there, there's room there to also ask, how does this impact how you yeah. do your job? Although I'll be shocked. I'll go on record right now. This is before the hearing. I'll be shocked if, if um, Kamala Harris brings it up. Uh, it might not be Kamala Harris. Yeah, 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 exactly. saying, Look, this is uh, you leave that. feel that it's important, but to bring it up now would, would yeah. you know, stir up a hornet's yeah. nest at this point in the campaign. But we'll see. Yeah. Next week, we'll, we'll review and see if, in fact, that did come up. Right. And so the third point that came up um, that they were talking about is uh, Kamala Harris is standing up for her faith again, saying we are Joe Biden and I are both people of faith. And it's insulting to suggest that we would knock anyone on their faith. Mm hmm. That's right. And uh, she grew up, of course, with, as we talked about, dual influences. She had a Christian mother and her, excuse me, she had a Christian father and her mother was Hindu. And she goes to a, a, a Protestant church, non-denominational, I believe, out there in the San Francisco Bay Area. But she did bring that up. And of course, Pence, I'm not sure if he mentioned it explicitly, but he's clearly a man of faith, right? Very religious personally. Uh, so we had a debate actually between uh, two evangelicals in a way, if you assume Kamala Harris is an evangelical because of the kind of church she goes to, and we know that Pence has self-described himself as evangelical, 
raised as a Catholic, but now uh, evangelical Protestant. So we actually had a debate between uh, two evangelicals in, in a way. So very interesting debate. Yeah, it was. Um, and so what, and so now let's let's talk to, about the Barrett nomination that's also been in the news. Uh, that's going to be interesting because of her strong Catholic faith and the kind of things that have been discussed about her past. That's even if, as I said, Kamala Harris doesn't bring it up. I think it will come up in the hearings, uh, at least by some senator. Don't you think? Yeah, I think I think it I think it will. Uh, Tommy Kidd, we interviewed. Uh, I should say. Uh, uh, Professor Thomas Kidd, how's that? Uh, professor at Baylor, Professor of History at Baylor, a great guy. And we've interviewed him on our podcast before. He's written a book about evangelicals, the history of evangelicals in this country. Mm-hmm. Uh, he had a, a piece in the Dallas Morning News very recently talking about this nomination. And, and Nate, it seemed to me that his point was what we've said before. This could be a plus for Trump's campaign among evangelicals. The fact that this is now going to be in the news uh, this week as she's yeah. uh, being vetted by the Senate Judiciary Committee. Uh, because of her positions on abortion and so forth. Right. It's a reminder about what Trump has promised to do for the evangelicals, which is to place judges. And that's been a, a strong thing that, that he's really pushed for and has done a lot of. Uh, and it looks like this is a good indication or a good place for him to say, here, look, look, I'm doing it again. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. You know, dominating the news to some degree this week, particularly without the, the debate uh, being held, uh, the Protestants, uh, particularly evangelical Protestants, are going to hear a lot about Trump's nomination of this woman, this woman of faith, this woman who is opposed to abortion to the Supreme Court. And so that's probably going to help him. And that's what Professor Kidd was saying. Right. Are you so, familiar, by the way, you mentioned people of praise that uh, I was reading some more about it is a, a charismatic Catholic group. Um, uh, charismatic yeah. to me is, is speaking in tongues, glossolalia and some other things along those lines, but I don't know a great deal about that movement, but she, although they don't announce their membership, so she's never said officially she was a member of the people of praise, uh, circumstantial evidence suggests that she was uh, very interesting, uh, group in a religious sense. Kind of an interesting blending of the Pentecostal movement with Catholicism. So it's going to have some very interesting viewpoints, but going to be quite conservative because both of those tend to be conservative. So you bring those together, it's going to reinforce the conservativeness. I think all in all, what we're going to hear Judge Barrett say is, uh, I will make my judgments as a judge, uh, not as a religious person, something like that. Don't you think that's the main message she's going to come up with? Hard to say. I, I see the reasonings for that, but at the same time, they need to make that statement loud and clear that the judges that they're placing are conservative judges. And so whether that comes from their faith or whether that comes from personal convictions, the conservativeness of her in order for this to be a big win for Trump has to be loud and clear. So people can say that's a very conservative judge. That's exactly what we want. That's what we want. So Trump what you're to saying is she has to thread a needle. She has to thread a needle. Yeah. 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 Well, she's well, a Trump needs woman. her to. Trump needs her to, right? I mean, if it's going to play for Trump, then she's going to have to thread that needle. Everything I've read about her says she's extraordinarily intelligent and Mm -hmm. talented as a jurist and so forth. So I imagine she'll uh, do well in figuring out how to execute the strategy that she and her advisors came up with as she goes through these hearings. Yeah, she'll do well, I'm sure. Uh, That was the week that was. uh, Come back to Biden again uh, on what we've seen in the news this week. Uh, Kind of dueling stories, as we've seen all along. First thing I saw in the news was this headline in the New York Times. Over 1,600 clergy members and other religious figures endorsed Biden. Interesting. 
It is from a wide variety, even some Catholics and others, some wide variety of faiths. There's people who are taking stances saying this is who we should vote for. Mm -hmm. At the same time, the other set of headlines we see is what we've seen continually is Mm -hmm. pushback uh, from Catholics um, about Biden. Uh, Remember Lou Holtz, the Notre Dame coach who said he's Catholic in name only, and they're kind of saying the same thing. He may posture himself as a man of faith, they say, but he's certainly not a good Catholic. Well, he's been running ads. We mentioned this before on Catholic stations and really trying to court the strong Catholic vote. And I think there's a little bit of pushback from that. It says, you, you don't, you're not one of us just because you're placing an ad on our station. Yeah, one of the ads, I think, depicts him as a clear moral choice, not as mm-hmm. a, but the clear moral choice for religious voters. And the article I'm looking at here certainly said that some Catholic people push back on that and say, wait a minute, he's not the clear moral choice, uh, at least for Catholic religious voters, and right. so on and so forth. Right. And the reasons that they give in this article are the same we've, we've seen. It's, the, it's abortion, number one. It's number two. Um, it's marriage between man and a woman. Number three, school choice, which is one we haven't really talked about before, but that's an important one for Catholic schools. Uh, and the fourth one, religious liberty as a general point. Yeah. You know, Nate, in summary, I've said this before, but I think one of the things that's probably a plus for the Biden campaign is that this is being discussed. Uh, Hillary Mm. Clinton did not really bring up religion, kind of uh, did not address religious voters directly at all. And the fact that this is even coming up as an issue and their pushback from ads and all that uh, is reflective of the fact that the Biden campaign, as we've said Um, on our podcast again and again is making an explicit effort to go after religious voters. And and probably that's going to work to his favor on a relative basis. Yeah, to some degree. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. So as we consider all of this, do we have any new data? Where, where's, where's the horse race? We do. We do have some new data speaking exactly to religious groups, the kind of thing we're talking about. But let me give you the big picture. First, it hadn't really changed. Uh, The new polling that's come out continued to show at the national level that Biden's significantly ahead. Um, There was a 14-point poll by the Wall Street Journal NBC, a 16-point poll, and by points, I mean Biden ahead by that margin, a 16-point Biden margin in a CNN poll. And then the poll we're going to talk about here is a Washington Post-ABC News poll showed him, that is Biden, ahead by 12 points. And when I look at forecasting models that try to take into account every single state and how they're going to go, Uh, They're still running in the 84 to 91% probability range that if the election were held today, Biden would win the Electoral College. A lot can change, but uh, that's where we are. And if anything, uh, Biden's margin over Trump seems to be increasing, at least up to this point. But we've got several weeks to go before the election. But back to the religious groups, uh, I don't see much change in white evangelical Protestants. Nate, isn't that interesting? The Washington Post ABC News poll had a 79 to 20, 79 to 20 Trump over Biden margin among white evangelical Protestants, almost identical to what exit polls suggested the margin was among this same evangelical Protestant group uh, of Trump over Hillary Clinton back in 2016. So maybe those ads aren't doing so much for the for the strong evangelical Protestants, not really moving the needle there, but it does appear to be moving the needle at least a little bit among other groups. Yeah, white Catholics. And and that was a headline on some people analyzing this poll. The Washington Post ABC News poll has uh, Biden actually ahead 
among white Catholics, 51 to 45, not much of a margin, but that's pretty extraordinary because based on exit polling, uh, Trump won significantly among white Catholics in 2016. So if this is an accurate assessment that it holds to election day, that'd be a big turnaround uh, among Catholic. Now I have to caution, the sample sizes are small. Uh, in a poll mm -hmm. like the Washington Post ABC News poll, the number of white Catholics is probably well below 200 people. So that has a large margin of error around it. So we have to be cautious, but uh, the change is significant enough to, to really suggest to me as a, as a professional pollster that there is some movement there among white Catholics. You think it's Biden, his Catholic faith, uh, Nate? Yeah, I think it's Biden. I think he's making, as you say, he's making the effort. The other one that's fascinating to me is the white non-evangelical Protestants. So that would be uh, those who don't identify as, as evangelical, but are still white Protestants. Um, again, Biden has a lead. Mm -hmm. Yeah, in their poll, 52 to 41. Uh, you know, Trump leads among whites altogether. Uh, but when you put all these together at the moment, uh, you're seeing that if you're not an evangelical and you're white and you're a Protestant, identify as a Protestant, uh, clearly you um, are more likely, based on these data, to go for Biden than you are for Trump. So we'll monitor this week by week. Very difficult to make projections. I've learned over my long career, Nate. Uh, we have to keep emphasizing this is where the race stands today, not where it's going to stand on November 3rd. But we're getting a lot more early voting Right. by mail in this election. So some of these um, results we're getting in polling are already baked in and can't change, right? If you're right. Already your ballot. That's the fascinating part. More and more of this is going to bake in as it goes, and there's going to be less and less at play. Yeah, less and less chance of a, of a big surprise on election day if everybody's already right. voted. Right, yeah, exactly. All right, well, let's, let's switch now and let's do our deep dive. Our topic today is fascinating one, and that is we're going to be talking about in the election, how women as a demographic group tend to vote and um, and break that down a little bit as we include also women and faith. So women voting and faith, here we go. Yeah, fascinating. I mean, we could spend hours on this, but let's hit some of the high points. Uh, fact number one, women in general are more religious than men. We got that fact down? Got it. Mm -hmm. uh, some of the data that I have here are, are pretty clear. Um, we have the nuns, for example, are higher among men than women. None of these are huge percentages, but in our Gallup data, uh, we've got about a seven point spread that males are more likely to be nuns than women. Uh, we've also got the church attendance data, which shows there's about an 8% higher percentage of women who say they attend church every week than men. And one other fact, Nate, uh, worldwide, women are more religious than men. Find that interesting? I do. So the, the difference isn't huge, but it does seem very consistent across the polls and has for years and is not just the United States thing. Yeah, that's what's interesting about it. We look around the world. Gallup has done some of this and Pew Research has done a great job of, of putting together interviews around the world. And when particularly... Uh, when you use a importance of religion in your own life variable to measure religiosity, uh, men and women either statistically break even on that number or women are more religious than men in almost every country in the world. Uh, when I look at the chart of data provided by Pew Research, and this is from a few years ago, there were only two countries where men were significantly more likely to say religion was important to them to women, and that was Israel and Mozambique. And when you say significant, you mean statistically significant, statistically but, significant. but not actually a huge 
difference. Yeah, none of these are huge differences, but it just shows the tendency is not one that's just localized to the United States. It seems to be, uh, what's the correct word, a uh, evolutionary function, which we're going to talk about in a minute, but for some reason, uh, women are more religious than men. And and, uh, evolution, to get into that, is one of the reasons that's uh, posited for this, that something about the development of humans uh, over the eons uh, led women to end up being more religious than men. And that's kind of uh, genetic in the same way that women tend to, on average, statistically, to be shorter than men, right? Uh, that's kind of a genetic explanation that there's something going on between men and women that drives this difference in religiosity. Uh, well, there's there also, but this, yeah, this is not, mm-hmm. this is not a settled debate by any means. This is, there's a lot of questions, a lot of people putting out Uh, theories about why this might be it's very universal which tends to immediately tempt people tend to think ah Mm -hmm. if it's universal it must be genetic um but there's also some very strong and interesting environmental arguments about why women might be drawn to communal faith life um Mm -hmm. and other explanations as well so it's it's not the the why isn't as clear but the what what we're seeing is very clear yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. You know, women give birth and, and there are arguments along those lines as well that is more likely to be child rearers than men. That's changing, of course, but that's probably true. That could be an explanation, but you're right. Dr. Rodney Stark, who's an emeritus professor there at Baylor University, very well known uh, and eminent sociologist of religion, had his own theory that men are more likely to take risks in life. And as a result, they, they don't need religion because religion is a way to uh, modify risk, right? To lower risk if you're religious because you're banking on the hereafter, right? That there is an afterlife and you'll be okay in afterlife. And since women aren't as likely to take risks, uh, they tend to be more religious. That's a very, very shorthanded version of Dr. Stark's uh, more complex theory. You know, the data go back and forth about whether there's a lot of evidence for that. But that's another interesting explanation I thought I would throw in for this thing. But you put your finger on it, Nate, just a moment ago, that there's no settled explanation for why this is the case. Women are more religious than men in the U.S. and around the world, and we don't know exactly why. Yeah, yeah. But but just knowing that they are is enough to shift how we think about how you would go after women or male voters as well. So that, So it has an impact on the election. And in fact, we see that women are on average more democratic than men. But wait, but wait, don't we know that, uh, don't we know that in general, and we've talked about it in the population of the United States, the more religious you are, the more Republican. You're right. And that holds for women and for men. So that's Mm -hmm. not just a, a male thing. So the more religious a woman is, the more Republican that she is likely to be. Mm-hmm. women on average are more religious than men. Mm-hmm. So you think, ah, that's, that's two forces pulling women, those combined would pull women towards being more Republican than men. And yet, here's the paradox, they are in fact more democratic than men. Yeah, and exceedingly so. This Washington Post-ABC poll showed in the, their projected ballot testing among women, Biden was ahead 59 to 36 Wow. That's a huge percent. What is that? 23% if I have my math right? Um, that's that's and huge. Then, um, and among men, it breaks even. So that's a tremendous difference between men and women in terms of uh, projected vote. And that's actually a bigger spread among women than, than uh, Hillary Clinton over Trump. Exit polls showed Hillary Clinton beat Trump among women 54 to 41. And according to this poll, it's actually spread. Women are actually more likely to say they support Biden over Trump than was the case back in 
2016. But hmm. it is a paradox. Uh, can you explain this to us, uh, Nate? Uh, again, uh, state the premise. And then explain <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll try. I'll try. Yeah, I'll okay. try. Yeah, yeah. It's because it's fascinating. So we've got we have three we have three different forces at play. Uh, we know that women are more religious than men. We know that the more religious you are, the more Republican you're likely to be. But we also know that at the end of the day, women are more democratic than men. And that creates the paradox. So uh, you and I have had conversations about this before. It is not an easy thing to wrap your head around. So the easy answer is to just say, just accept the paradox and work with it. That's the easy answer. If you're trying to figure out a way to understand how these seeming mutually exclusive claims can actually all hold true at the same time, um, I finally figured out a way to explain it, at least to myself. And I'll try to explain that to the listeners. And if this doesn't work, just fall back to the trust us, the paradox, but it works. Mm -hmm. so, so here's how I tend to think about it. If we were to create an imaginary number line from like one to 10 of religiosity. So the more religious you are, the more to the right you are, closer to that 10. And the, and the least religious you are, the more to the left you are. And across that same thing, we know that the more to the right you are, the more politically to the right you are, the more conservative you are. And the more to the left you are, the more liberal you are. So we can hold that in our head and that makes sense. But if we were going to place the average man and the average woman on this chart, for example, if we put men at uh, fives and women at six, then we could say, ah, the women by a small amount are more religious than men. And so you think, but, um, so that way you'd think that would make them more Republican. But if the tipping point for a man to be Republican is anywhere four or above, men would then be more Republican. But if for women it was seven or above, women could still be more democratic. My point here with all of this, using these hypothetical numbers and ways of seeing this, is that the women towards the middle are more likely to be democratic than the men towards the middle, which are more likely to be Republican. And that's the point that's interesting for, and if you're saying who's up for grabs when we talk about faith, uh, women, towards the middle are going to be more likely to be Biden supporters than men in the middle. And so that's the middle ground that's at play for both sides. Mm -hmm. That's an interesting one to be at play. And it's, and, and that's the question I have is, are they going after that middle ground? Because that's, that's the one that's most likely to shift. Yeah. Very good explanation. It, to me, you're kind of saying, and, and we've talked about this before, there's a different set point of sorts, right? Right. The relationship holds, but the women are just have a higher set point in terms of being democratic than, than, than men do, uh, even though in, internally the relationship still holds. Uh, you're right. I have some data speaking to what you were just talking about. Uh, let's take these uh, moderately religious people, males who attend church once a month. That's moderately religious. Males mm -hmm. who attend church once a month, 54% are Republican or lean Republican. Now go to women who attend church once a month, moderately with religious women, 41% are Republican or lean Republican. Uh, and then you can look at it the other side. Uh, men are much less likely to be Democratic, men who attend church once a month, than women. So there are your moderately religious people, if that's what we're talking about here, Clearly, uh, the women would be a more receptive audience based on pre-existing attitudes because they skew more democratic, uh, more for Biden, uh, more receptive for Biden. So the takeaway here is that the, the voters in the middle are the ones that are most at play. They're the least that are hard coded or really strong pressures one way or the other. And in, so that might be a spot where either campaign could be targeting their ads to try to swing that tipping point one way or the other. Yeah. 
Biden has a real advantage among women. He can try to reinforce it, as we're talking about any way he can. And then uh, Trump, of course, uh, it would be more advantageous if he was going after men uh, in those groups. Uh, one last point, Nate, uh, women are more likely to turn out and vote than men. There is at least a marginally higher percent of the voting pool than men. So women are very valuable. How's that uh, as voters? Uh, Absolutely. More than half. More than half of all votes cast will be by women this election if everything holds like it has in the past. So the bottom line here, Nate, uh, women, men, religion, complex. How many times have we said things are complex? So many on this podcast. <laughs> so many. <laughs> yeah. When we got these two variables going on, religiosity on the one hand and voting on the other, it's very complex when we look at gender, uh, but very fascinating at the same time. And hopefully we've elucidated this just a bit for our listeners. So before we complete wrap up, though, we've got a tantalizing quiz from earlier on about which states have by percentage the most Catholics, the most Jewish believers, and the most Protestant believers. All right, time to guess. Both you and uh, Micah, Catholics first. What state or states have the most Catholics by percentage? It's in the Northeast, but I can't remember which one. Micah, guess. Oh, wait, was it I'd Rhode say Island? Rhode Island. <laughs> okay. yeah. Maybe you both remember that from a previous one. We month. did Absolutely. talk about it before. Yeah, yeah, it came back. It was Rhode Island. Yep. Yeah. Uh, pretty significant. 44% of all residents, adult residents in Rhode Island are Catholic, highest of any state in the union, followed by New Jersey, Connecticut, Massachusetts, and New York. So you're right. In the middle Atlantic and Northeast is where Catholics tend to congregate. All right. Jews, what states in the union have the highest percentage of Jews in the country? Do I have to go first again? Yeah, Micah, go for it. Go for it, Micah. I'd say maybe New York. Nate? I do think it's, it's in the Northeast as well. New York was up there, but you guessed that one, so I'm going to spread our vote, and I'm going to go with New Jersey. Well, you're both close, but New York is right, so Micah gets that. 8%, oh, good job. Yeah, 8% of individuals that Gallup has interviewed in New York identify their religion as Jewish. Probably another percentage or two are culturally Jewish, but these are percentage who, uh, the percentage of those who identify their religion as Jewish, followed by District of Columbia. Is that a state or not? Question mark. And then New Jersey, just like you guessed, and then Massachusetts and Connecticut. So final quiz question, percent Protestant. Where would we find on a percentage basis the most Protestants in this nation? Micah's two for two. Can you bring us home, Micah? What do you think? Maybe Georgia. Uh, and I'm going to go with Mississippi. Yeah, we talked about on a previous podcast, Mississippi being the most religious state in the union, which is interesting. But Mississippi's number two. Alabama, 77% oh. of all residents in Alabama identify their religion as uh, Protestant in one way or the other, followed by Mississippi, then Arkansas, Tennessee, and South Carolina, all states in the South, which isn't shocking, right? That's the Bible Belt, uh, higher percentages of African-American residents in those states, and they tend to be Protestant. So a lot of reasons why those states are, are the most Protestant. So we've completed another week, and when we're back together next week on our podcast, Nate, uh, we won't have a debate having gone on, but we will, as we've said, be able to talk about what happened in the very interesting and important hearings for uh, Judge Amy Barrett for the Supreme Court, and I imagine we're going to be hearing a lot from the Trump and Biden campaigns, even without a debate. Oh, I imagine so. They can't sit quiet now. they got to finish strong, both of them. You've been listening to our podcast, Objective Religion, where we have been looking all fall at the relationship between religion and election 2020. Our podcast is produced in partnership with Baylor University's Institute for the Studies of Religion. I'm Dr. Frank Newport, sociologist and Gallup senior scientist. And I'm Reverend Nate Brantam, Presbyterian minister and campus minister at the University of Illinois. 
And I'm Michael Lambert, producer. We love hearing from our listeners, so please leave us a message with any comments or questions at 254-237-3298 or send us an email at objectivereligionpodcast at gmail.com.